Hello, and welcome to Her Voice, a podcast by HerMD. HerMD is a female-forward wellness center empowering women through comprehensive health, beauty, and wellness services. Today, HerMD's Chief Growth Officer, Kamel Caruso, is joined by Dr. Ashley Rollins. Dr. Rollins specializes in the treatment of pelvic floor muscle dysfunctions at origin. This includes treatment for pelvic pain, sexual dysfunction, bowel and bladder dysfunction, pregnancy-related pain, and postpartum recovery. Today on Her Voice, we're excited to welcome Dr. Ashley Rollins to our podcast to talk all about our pelvic floors. Welcome. Thank you. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm personally very excited. I'm also very excited for people who are going to tune in because I don't know a lot about my pelvic floor and um, I'm excited for you to walk us through everything from the basics to painful sex and pleasure in a healthy pelvic floor. Um, so we're going to dive right in. So just to set the baseline, I know we talked a lot about anatomy, but I think it's really great to talk through what anatomy of the pelvic floor is involved in sex. Yeah. So all, all of the anatomy is involved. Um, in sex in many different ways, the muscles of the pelvic. So kind of more obviously, I think it's kind of what maybe what we more, maybe think of more commonly are so our pelvic opening, our vaginal opening, our anal opening kind of go through our pelvic floor muscles. So um, depending on what kind of penetrative sex you are having, our pelvic floor muscles need to be able to relax and release and move and, and open without pain They be able they can stretch open to allow for penetration without pain, either through the vaginal opening or the anal opening. When our pelvic floor muscles are overactive, it can be painful for those. It's almost like having little muscle knots or like a cramp or a trolley horse in those muscles. If you go to stretch it or push on it, it can be painful. Our pelvic floor muscles are also really important in, in um, allowing for blood flow and engorgement of our tissues, um, engorgement of the clitoral tissues, allowing for increased arousal and stimulation. And that blood flow really helps to like nourish the nerves, it keeps everything happy and feeling all of the right sensations that you need when you want. Those muscles also help to then, um, so they allow for the circulation and then they help to keep the muscles engorged by compressing the veins that help to kind of return that blood flow. So they allow the muscle, the blood flow in, and then they keep it there where it needs to be for all of the pleasure. And then, um, you know, after sex and, you know, everything kind of recirculates. So they're really, really, really important for pain-free penetrative sex. Um, you know, whether it's a finger, a toy, a penis, whatever it may be. Um, but it, they are also really important, like I said, in that clitoral stimulation. And if those muscles are tender, it can even be hard, um, can even be hurtful. It can even hurt to touch the tissues externally and having external intercourse. Wow. I had no idea it also involved blood flow to the, oh the yeah, all the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Always learning, always learning. And so you talked about pain and, mm-hmm. you know, um, contraction, I guess, and not, and not being able to relax. Mm-hmm. Um, so what causes that to happen? So, so many things it can, um, pelvic, so pelvic pain or so the term to describe pain with sex or pain with penetrative sex is dyspareunia. 
And that can, that just basically says that you have pain, but it doesn't indicate what's causing that pain. And there is so many different things that can cause that pain. Um, and so many different, so what that might be, endometriosis. It could be a vaginal infection or a yeast infection, an STI. It could be um, you fell and hurt your tailbone and that has, is making your, your muscles irritated. And there's a million different other things that can be contributing. As it relates to your muscles, um, you know, whether it was because of a medical condition that you had um, pre-existing or if it was just kind of primary pelvic floor muscle dysfunction, when our muscles are affected, they can become overactive and they're really almost like guard dogs to your pelvic floor. And they protect along with your central nervous system in this whole fight or flight, um, you know, mechanism that we have. Um, when we, you know, in fight, <laughs> we're kind of preparing to fight and we're tensing um, and things, those kind of things like peeing and pooping and having sex or having a baby aren't important. Um, and, you know, if your body is sensing uh, a feeling of fighting or fleeing, it's almost, um, it's, that's a deep brain response. It's not something that you're logically thinking, I'm having sex. I'm not, there's not a tiger chasing me. I, I need to, you know, calm down and relax my muscles. I, our, our brain is in this, can oftentimes be in a protective mode that can leave our pelvic floor muscles contracting and protecting. It can over time kind of develop into a habit. Maybe those muscles, they become overactive. And if every time you go to have sex, there's pain, then it's, it's kind of um, feeding into the cycle of pain. You're having pain, you're having um, like fear and guarding. Um, that pain doesn't contribute to arousal. So there's less um, lubricant, you're, there's less blood flow um, and arousal that's contributing. So there's more pain and then more guarding and it's just this continuous cycle. And then you kind of almost end up dreading the thought of, uh, of intimacy at some point because it's painful. Um, and so over time, it can develop into this overactive muscle that's essentially uh, Charlie horse or cramps or um, they can, you can develop trigger points and poor blood flow. And every time you go to release that muscle to um, stretch it, then it's painful. And um, we need to retrain that whole response and get those muscles to know that the only response to pressure or pain doesn't have to, uh, to pressure or stretch doesn't have to be pain. So how, how do you, I love how you said retrain. Um, yeah. How do you retrain those muscles so that they can relax to accommodate penetration? Yeah, so many ways that, you know, pain can be a really hard thing to um, deconstruct um, because it's not just, pain is tricky. It's complex. And that is, you know, that pain, our brain is, is where we interpret um, our pain response, right? Our brain. And it's such an intelligent area of our body and it gets tricky. Um, and when we have pain, um, we, we really want to kind of peel back the layers of what that might be. When someone is coming to us in pelvic floor physical therapy, we're looking at um, finding the muscles that are involved. So the ones that are contributing to the pain, maybe it's all of them, maybe it's a specific layer of muscles. Um, and we, you know, we'll use things like um, manual therapy release techniques to try and help um, get the muscle to, uh, you know, improve the connective tissue extensibility, improve the blood flow, 
And we're also working to retrain the, the body and the brain that, you, it, that it can stretch without having a pain response and getting everything to kind of um, calm down that central nervous system's response to pain. We'll use things like, um, if you've heard of vaginal dilators or another term for it is vaginal trainers. And the idea of that is just using um, increasingly graded, um, increasingly bigger um, cylindrical tubes that are inserted into the vagina that help to kind of gently retrain that, those muscles that they can release and open. Mm -hmm. So how do you, you mentioned something I want to dive a little bit more into it. How do you, you said you want to determine like what muscles, what's kind of involved. Yeah. Um, how do you determine, or I guess diagnose, um, what muscles are involved in causing painful sex? Yeah, that's a great question. So as a pelvic floor physical therapist, we're diagnosing what a muscle dysfunction, like what's going on with those muscles. Is there underactivity, overactivity, um, lack of coordination. And when it comes to overactive pelvic floor, so whenever we're looking at a pelvic floor, we, we listen to the kind of what's going on with someone's symptoms and kind of putting together an idea of maybe what's going on with the pelvic floor. But a pelvic floor muscle examination is where we really get the rest of the pieces of the puzzle. So what that, um, with, you know, after kind of explaining to someone what the, um, what the examination looks like, we often say, well, you, really always use a pelvic floor muscle to kind of show you which muscles we're referring to. The pelvic floor muscle examination is often done um, um, with an internal pelvic floor muscle examination. So we do look at the superficial pelvic floor muscles. These ones can be palpated externally. Um, kind of looking at their flexibility, we look at the tissue health, see if there's any lesions, um, swollen glands, um, rashes, irritations that could be contributing to pain. Um, we also then look at the muscles themselves to see if there's any irritation to them when you're kind of pushing on them. We're feeling for overactive, overactivity or trigger points. And then the internal muscles are accessed either intravaginally or indirectly. And so with a gloved finger, a gloved and lubricated finger, we insert it into the vaginal opening or anal opening, and we're feeling the, the deeper pelvic floor muscles in the same way. We're looking for um, the ability for it, the flexibility, the strength. And then also at looking for timing and coordination of those muscles. And then kind of depending on what we find we put together, what that treatment program might look like. Um, if there's pain, we're kind of mapping out where those muscle areas of tension are. And oftentimes when the pelvic floor muscle is to kind of blame for the pain, you'll push on that muscle and get the, the client will go, that's it. That's my pain. And then you're kind of working on retraining that muscle. That's amazing. Um, yeah because I think it it's, must be so gratifying for a patient who comes in and is like, it hurts. I yeah. don't know why. And then they're yeah. able to tell you with the exam, oh, it's there. Like, yeah. so, you know, when Somi or Dr. Javid um, does exams and then shows images or points them out and they're like, yes, it's there. Yeah. Well, then you, it's because of like X, Y, or Z. They're like, I knew, you know, it's like, I knew I wasn't crazy. I, I knew something was wrong. Yeah. 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 That's, I, yeah. That's so, I, it's so, it's such a bummer when you hear that, but it's more, more common than you would hope. I think for a lot of the time, one, it's incredibly, it can be incredibly vulnerable and scary to like bring this up with a healthcare provider. A lot of the time, that healthcare provider isn't necessarily trained and then what to do next. Mm -hmm. So there can be a lot of, okay, you have pain, but I can't see anything medically wrong. 
especially when it is the pelvic floor muscles, there's, there's every, there's no infection, there's no organ dysfunction going on. So I can't find anything. And it can feel very scary then to bring it up with someone else. Cause you know, it's your body, something is wrong. And right. you, and you shouldn't have to put up with painful sex ever. Cause it's not normal. And um, it's not just you or your partner or whatever um, you may have been told. And so being able, you know, with anything, it can be incredibly validating to kind of have a name or um, diagnosis kind of associated to, to your symptoms because it's, it's like a path for hope. And oftentimes being able to touch that muscle and kind of um, getting a pelvic, a, a muscle dysfunction can be very validating in that same way that it's okay, cool. Now I know what's causing it. And as a public PT, I'm telling you, okay, cool. I can fix this now. We can work together and help you feel better. Yeah. That must be an incredible feeling. I could imagine. Um, so I know we talked about painful sex. I do have a question for you also yeah. on kind of, and like muscles contracting involuntarily is the pelvic floor also involved in laxity and not having, not being able to, um, tighten your muscles during sex as well. Sure. Yeah. That can oftentimes be when that, that muscle is maybe so underactive that it's having a hard time contracting itself. We also can have a hard time contracting it in the proper way. Um, there is a, you know, 40% of us are not contracting our pelvic floor muscles properly when we're just based on like we read in Cosmo, this is how you do a Kegel. We can't, there's still a large majority of us that can't contract it right because it's just not, it's just not like one of those intuitive parts of your body that you're necessarily used to working out at the gym, right? right. And so it, especially if nothing has ever really gone, um, you've never really had symptoms before, you never really had to think you necessarily had to pee or poop or have sex before. And so mm -hmm. you haven't really gone to condition and contract and be in touch with that part of your body. And so it can be, it's not, it's, it's not just about that underactivity. It can certainly be that that muscle just doesn't have the strength to contract during intercourse, mm. or maybe it had um, been damaged. If you've had a baby, there was a tear in that muscle and there was, um, and so it's having a hard time contracting, but sometimes we just have a hard time, like being in touch with that area of our body and using it properly. Um, kind of like if you asked me to dance, it'd be tragic. And so you have to kind of slow down and learn the steps and figure it out in our pelvic floor muscle. Um, can oftentimes be the same. That's a good analogy. And, and you mentioned Kegels. You guys so thought right now. So painful right. sex um, and like laxity. So maintaining a healthy pelvic floor and pleasure mm -hmm. seems like it's very intertwined. Yes. Um, so for those of us who maybe aren't experiencing painful sex or discomfort, how can um, sex be more pleasurable um, with pelvic floor exercises? Great question. So for one, for sure, being able to be in kind of touch with that area of our body can help in general. I think a lot of sexual dysfunction and absence of pain can occur when we have, when there's like shame and, um, embarrassment associated with that area of our body, which can also contribute to pain. But if you're not having pain, it's, you know, so if you're kind of shameful, you don't want to look, I've never, you know, you don't want to look at that area of your body and you don't, you want to pretend it doesn't exist, um, then you do have a harder time connecting with it. So being able to kind of connect, use that muscle, visualize it, see it contract and relax can be one really helpful way to kind of um, get that muscle starting to, to be active um, and 
kind of pulling away some of those layers of shame that can be associated with it. But also strengthening that pelvic floor muscle and while also maintaining its flexibility, right? We wanna have a strong, flexible pelvic floor um, is really helpful in being able to improve the blood flow. Um, a healthy muscle has healthy blood flow, healthy nerves um, that, um, and improved um, sensation in the whole, the whole erogenous zone. So it can be really helpful in improving arousal and orgasm as long as that muscle is strong and flexible. Okay. And so you mentioned Kegels. I think you mentioned Cosmo. We love Cosmo. Let you know. We do. I do. Cosmo at all. Because please talk more about it because it starts these conversations. Exactly. But we, we hear a lot in like media, you know, publications about Kegels. Um, what are, let's like just say, what are Kegels and how, how are we doing Kegels and how often should you be doing them? Let's break down Kegels. Yeah. So Kegels simply is just, um, the pelvic floor muscle contraction and relaxation. It's basically the resistance training for your pelvic floor muscle specifically. It's like a bicep curl for your pelvic floor. And, um, there's many, many ways to kind of cue it. Um, and, and which is, I think what leads to oftentimes the error errors that we experience, but the pelvic floor muscle contraction is like the motion that you're doing when you're trying to hold back urine or hold back gas, it's really kind of the pulling up and in of the, the tissues between your sit bones. Um, so another way to cue it. So it's kind of like these muscles pull up and in towards your head. Another way to cue it. Um, some people think about it like sipping up a smoothie with your vagina. So you're kind of like pulling up and in or picking up a blueberry with your, um, with the labia, you're really trying to just kind of pull up those muscles and like against gravity away from your, your chair. And you can kind of sit like, as you're sitting, if if you're sitting here listening to this and you have your pelvic, your, your sit bones on the chair, you're kind of lifting your pelvic floor away from the chair. Uh, And how often should we be doing Kegels? So different for everybody. Some people don't need to do Kegels at all. Some people need to do the opposite and learn to relax them. Um, And kind of like we were talking about before, however many Kegels you need to do is different depending on what you're kind of asking of them. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, someone that needs a lot more endurance and strength in their muscle wants to try and um, hold contractions for a longer amount of time. Um, being able to hold them more or doing more repetitions for longer amounts of time um, versus someone that maybe needs to work on the speed of their muscle. They work more on the quick flick. If you need to work more, uh, like really contracting and relaxing your muscle quickly um, and, and working on the timing of it. It's so varied for everyone that it's hard to kind of give a specific um, answer for what someone needs because everyone's needs are so very different. But being able to um, meet the demands of what you're asking of them um, and keeping your symptoms in mind is, is where, I, where we, we try and train each person to be. That's a good point. I mean, yes, everyone is different. And that's what we always say too, is like, it, it depends right on where you are and what you're experiencing. Um, so you've been practicing as a pelvic floor physical therapist for how many years? Over seven, almost eight years. Wow. Okay. So yeah. what are the questions that you're most asked? when consulting with a patient? Well, definitely what is a Kegel? That is always yeah. comes up. <laughs> but oftentimes it is, you know, unfortunately it's, you know, is, do I, ha- 
is this, do I have to suffer with my symptoms? Is, is this my new normal? So, because like we were talking about before, a lot of people are coming in after being told over and over again that there's nothing that can be done. And so we often times will get the question is, is does this sound like something that you can help? Um, or is there hope for me? Um, and often, oftentimes when it's related to that pelvic floor muscle, the answer is yes, we can absolutely help to improve your symptoms. Okay. I have a question of my own also, <laughs> just cause we were talking about Kegels and it goes in like how we how you can work them out and how it's different for everybody. Um, I wanted to ask your opinion on Kegel balls. Oh, like, okay. Do you recommend them? How, if you do, how do they help? Because that is something I think that women come to us and ask about Kegel balls. So I, I wanted to ask you that. Great question. So Kegel balls, when you say Kegel balls, I'm thinking like Kegel weights, correct? Yes. Like is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Okay. Silver balls that are weighty, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So Kegel weights or vaginal weights or whatever you want to call them can be really helpful for people um, in many different ways. Um, I like to use them. I, I see them very commonly helpful as like a, um, a proprioceptive tool. So um, sometimes like we were talking about, it can be hard to kind of understand where those muscles are. And sometimes adding something like a light vaginal weight um, can be really helpful because it puts a little bit of pressure, almost like, you, you know, you're facilitating a muscle like this muscle right here. This is a muscle I want you to use. A pelvic floor a Kegel weight or a vaginal weight can be really helpful in getting you, your body to kind of sense where that muscle is and the direction it needs to go. <laughs> it can also be really helpful in adding resistance to your pelvic floor routine if you need it. So, by, like, you know, if you're working on strengthening certain muscles in your body and you want to, you need to be stronger because you can't lift, you know, your, your babies anymore, they're getting too big, you need to increase your weight resistance. Vaginal trainer or those vaginal weights can be a really good way to increase the resistance training that you're doing with your pelvic floor muscles. They're not necessarily great for everybody. It's not like everybody needs a, a vaginal weight, but it can be really helpful for some to help you learn how to contract that muscle and to kind of um, increase the challenge if you need it. I would never recommend necessarily reusing like a natural stone in the vagina because that can introduce, it's hard to clean effectively and it can introduce bacteria um, to your vaginal tissues but it's also not it's not like the normal function of your pelvic floor muscles to be held and contracted all day long those muscles can and they relax if you just in a way that you wouldn't want to walk around with your shoulders and your ears all day long because that would be really painful to try and relax at the end of the day our pelvic floor muscles are the same and if you're trying to carry an egg around all day it might contribute to that overactivity. It's not necessarily the physiologic demand of a, what we normally demand on our pelvic floor. So it's um, probably excessive and we can, we can do something much more effective. <laughs> Leave the Kegel egg at home. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, thank you so much for your time today. I think You're welcome. what in your experience, what are, you know, some of the best tips that you can leave with our listeners, um, regarding maintaining a healthy pelvic floor? Yeah. So I, I love for everyone to keep in mind that a pelvic floor muscle is a, a healthy pelvic floor muscle is one that it's not just strong, but it's also flexible and well coordinated. So 
we think that Kegels are going to be the thing that helps to kind of improve all of our pelvic floor muscle symptoms, but that isn't always necessarily the case. We want muscles that have, um, that can contract strongly and relax fully and then contract in the times that we are demanding them when they need to contract and relax. Um, so kind of check in on your pelvic health and when something isn't feeling right or you're having symptoms that pop up and are staying consistent, any of those symptoms that we, we talked about, leakage, pressure, pain, um, inability to hold stuff back, that those might be signs that there is pelvic floor muscle dysfunction and it's not something that you need to put up with. It's not normal. It might be common, but it is not normal or something that you have to continue to just suffer with and change your life around because there's lots of us out there that um, are trained in ways to help improve your symptoms and we, we care that, that you're feeling that way. And we want to help things get better for you. Um, and so reach out. Thank you. That was so great. This episode of Her Voice has been a production of HerMD. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at HerMD Health. If you're a provider interested in working with us, please reach out to info at We'll see you next time.